get your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Last week we saw Peter and John, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed a lame beggar. And then at the end of that text, he calls the crowd to repent. Um, he says, you need to repent of your sins. And he told them that Jesus came and he was their deliverance. He was the, he was the one that was going to deliver them. And they need to repent and put their trust and their hope in him. And that there was a time of refreshing that was coming, but it was only going to be found through repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then he says in verse 26 of chapter 3 that God raised up a servant and sent him to bless you by turning. He says everyone needs to turn from their wickedness and turn to Christ. So, um, and he says if you, if you do turn from your wickedness, then he's going to bless you. Uh, but he also, in the midst of the text, tells him, listen, the Jesus I'm telling you to turn to and repent, you're the, you're the folks that killed him. You're the folks that, um, that crucified him, and you need to repent of that, and you need to confess, and you need to, you need to repent and trust Christ. And, well, that got him in a little bit of trouble. Just like today, if you stand on the streets in certain cities, even in America, and you stand on the streets and you say you need to repent and put your trust in Christ in your preaching, you will get in trouble. Uh, this week, a pastor in London, he was an, he's an American pastor, but went to London, and while he was in London, stood on the streets and preached repentance and to trust Christ. Uh, he is now in jail in London for saying that you need to repent of your sins and trust Christ. And so it got Peter and John in trouble. It'll get you in trouble because the enemy does not like the word of God to be proclaimed. The idea of repentance and putting your faith and trust and hope in Christ is not a popular message from, uh, that, that Satan loves. Um, so the world in which we live is a fallen world. And so Satan will do his dead level best to discourage us from saying anything, doing anything, proclaiming that gospel. And so we're going to see in chapter 4 that the Jewish leadership is, was having the same things happen. They, were, they had the same mentality that a lot of the leadership in this country and other countries around the world have. And so um, they, didn't like, they didn't like the idea of being called out for murdering Jesus, or as the, the text says, the chosen one. So let's look at um, Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> and they were speaking with the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple. And the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. <laughs> I love that. Greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and a number of the men came to about 5,000. Oh man, I love this. The Jewish leadership's annoyed. The people that are the religious people of the day are annoyed by the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed, Sinful men will not like it. 
They're going to have one of two reactions. They're going to get convicted and they're going to get saved. Or they're going to get annoyed and angry at the message of the gospel. Why? Because remember, the devil is not going down without a fight. Satan knows that the message of the gospel will destroy his plans and his goals for humanity. So, because here's the thing. Satan knows that he cannot touch God. He has no ability to destroy God, but he knows that he can get in and he can mess with his creation and he can, he can wound the creation. But as Isaiah said, he may bruise our heel, but Jesus has crushed his head. Amen? Whew, it's good stuff. Well, Satan knows the message of the gospel will destroy his plans for humanity, so he's going to do what's needed in order to take men out who... Um, don't want to hear the gospel. They want to hear it. So we've got this. They, they've taken him into custody. Um, look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed and a number of the men. Now, they didn't count the women in these days. They didn't count women or children. They only counted men. So men, there was probably more than just 5,000 that got saved. That this is, we're just counting the men. The number of the men came to about 5,000 that got saved. So if you remember earlier in the text in chapter 2, they get, there's 3,000 that get saved. Now we've got 5,000 that get saved. Now I, I want you to see this. That It's just really amazing here. When persecution comes, the church thrives and men and women get saved. Where there's opposition to the gospel, the gospel will spread like wildfire. Wildfire. Look at, look at any other country where it's illegal to preach the gospel. You look at Iran, you look at China, you look at uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, any of those countries where it is illegal to preach the gospel, the church is exploding in numbers. People are coming to know Christ, repenting of their sins and following Jesus with their lives. When persecution comes, the church will thrive and when there's opposition, the word of God will spread like wildfire and we'll see men and women come to know Christ on a massive scale. This isn't just true in the text, but we see it in our own day. We see nations where Christianity is illegal and millions now, even in 2021, are coming to Christ. And Now let me just say, they're not just coming to Christ and it's just lollipops and roses all the time. There's a cost to following Jesus. Read John chapter 6. There is a cost. You, can, you will and potentially could lose everything. There are men and women when they follow Christ in Iran, they know that they're losing everything, but they're gaining everything. They're losing everything in this world, but they're gaining everything in eternity. They're going to lose their families potentially. They might even lose their lives, but at the end of the day, they get Christ, and Christ is more than enough. Amen? A couple of you? Just a couple? Let's, come on now. Amen? Let's try again. There we go. All right. Y'all work with me here. And here's the thing. The gospel does best. I don't know why. But the gospel just does really well in oppressive systems. When there's prosperity and there's goodness and there's, there's everybody's doing well and everybody's fat and comfortable. The gospel just seems to fall on deaf ears. But man, when you're in the midst of oppression, you're living in an oppressive system. The gospel just thrives. And it's just good. God is, is doing works in the midst of even these men being thrown in prison, 5,000 get saved after hearing the gospel of Christ preached. 
don't know why, but God just seems to work that way. And the more pain you put on a believer in, that believes in Christ, the more they're openly going to share the gospel. You read, I mean, I, I, look at, listen, we've got brothers that are in Canada who is, it's supposed to be a friendly environment in Canada. Canada is supposed to be the friend, most friendly people, right? Not to Christians. And they're throwing those guys in prison left and right in, in Canada. But you know what's happening? Thousands are coming to Christ. Those churches are growing and they're thriving. They may be meeting underground. Grace Life Church just now is getting back into their building. But there's a, still a lot of oppression, a lot of stuff being thrown at them. But the more pain you put on a believer, the more openly they will embrace the gospel, preach the gospel, and live the gospel. They'll praise God for their circumstances, and they'll thank God for the opportunity to share the good news with the people that they're around, even if they're in prison. You know, we're going to throw you in jail. Awesome. I'll convert everybody in here. Let's go. We're going to let you free. Awesome. I'll preach the gospel more outside here. We're going to persecute you. To, to, that's fine. None of my stuff's mine anyways. It's all God's. We'll kill you to die is game. <laughs> Let's go. The more a Christian is oppressed by an evil world system, the more they will thank God and rely on him fully. And man, isn't that where we need to be anyways? And then you see men and women get saved in these settings. Verses 5 through 12, you're going to see um, they, get, they get saved. And then verse 5, they say, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were with the high priestly family. So you got the, you got the ruling class, you've got the ruling family in, Israel, in Jerusalem. The priestly ruling family is now gathered together. And when they had set them in the middle, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do all this? Now, if you remember last week, what happened? They didn't just preach. Peter and John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they healed a lame man. It's Christ through them. Christ healed this man through Peter and John. So the, the scribes are going, they're scratching their heads saying, okay, we know this guy was a lame guy from the beginning of his life, and now he's not. So man, we know something supernatural has happened here, but how did you do this? And we live in a culture today that would just, well, you know what, I'm, just, I'm awesome. And I, uh, I've got powers that you don't know about. I've got some really good ones here. But they keep going, and he says, he says, by what name? And then Peter answers them in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of people and elders, if you are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known that all to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, man, he, they just loved him. The guy you killed? The guy you killed, they do it anytime they get a chance. The guy you killed, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now remember Jesus said, listen, remember when Jesus in his ministry, he told them, I'm the stone that you're going to reject, but I'm going to become the cornerstone of this place. I'm going to be the cornerstone. 
Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, this did not go well in this setting. Like in this day and age when we say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through the Him. When we say that in this building, in, this, in buildings like this, people in the room go, Amen. Amen. But in this day, that didn't happen. They get out of jail, and the leaders bring them before them and ask him, by what authority, by what name did you do this? How in the world did you... Man, we know something happened, but how did you do this? How did this happen? Well, Peter opens a can of worms here. Because <laughs> he, he, Peter, Peter and John aren't going to be the guys, you know what, it was us. Is by my power, by my will, by my might, I did all this. They don't do that. Peter stands openly and says, the only way this happened was in Christ and Christ alone. And not only that, this Jesus that you rejected, that you crucified, he is now the cornerstone and he's the only way to salvation. And there's no other way given to men by which we must be saved. Now, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were, they were astonished. I absolutely love this, that Jesus Christ constantly uses the uneducated, the, the silly, the, the dumb in the world in which we live. Culture sees it, people see it, and we perceive it and say, man, there's no way that guy could do that because, man, he's just not smart enough. He's not educated enough. He doesn't have the perception to do these things. And it's just, it blows my mind that the disciples were used by this. And the people around them were just awestruck. Like, listen to me. The, the disciples, the people that God chose to use out of his disciples were not the Princeton and Harvard theologians. They were fishermen, blue-collar workers, farmers, guys that were in the field just working with their hands. God said, those are the guys I want. Those are the men that I want. And they were just, they were not an educated group. They were a hard-working, uneducated class that God says, I'm going to use you. And, you're, and as a result of that, there's going to be good that's going to come for you. But there's also the glory is going to be mine. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I absolutely love this. Um, if you've ever watched Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort is a guy that is a, he's openly saying, he's like, listen, I'm not the smartest guy in the, in the group. And man, he gets around, he gets in debates with Harvard professors and shames these guys. Even when they're trying to make fun of him. He made a whole series of videos dedicated to how they tried to mock him over a mistake he made. And as a result of that mistake being made, he got invited on all these shows that were atheist shows. And he shares the gospel with millions of people. And people get to hear the gospel and people get saved because this is what happens. God chooses to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame what is strong. Why? Why does he do this? Because God uses... Because here's the deal. Like, think about David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Remember what Saul did when they, when, when they were trying to pick... They were going to pick the guy that's going to 
going to fight this guy? Because the whole nation's there, and Goliath every day would come out and he would shake himself and he'd say, Who's going to fight me? Who? You're going to fight me? And they'd all cower and fear. And this little ruddy faced, the Bible says he was a ruddy faced teenage boy, he comes out and he's like, he hears him. He's, he's bringing food to his brothers. He's coming to visit his brothers on the battlefield. He's like, hey, I brought some lunch from dad. How's work? Is it going well? Awesome. Here's, here's some, some lunch. And he's standing there giving lunch. And Goliath comes out and shakes himself and mocks God, mocks Israel. And David's like, wait a second. Who is this God that's going to mock my God and mock my country? Is no one going to stand up to this jerk? And they're like, well, he's really big. He's really strong. I don't think we can handle it. David's like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll go. And no one seems to stop him. They, they, they laugh at him, but they're like, okay, go for it. He goes to Saul and says, Saul to the king, Saul, I'll do it. I'll fight him. What does Saul do? Here, take my armor. Puts the armor on and what? It's just, he can't even lift the sword. He's struggling. He's like, oh, I can't do this. This is too crazy. Forget it. I'm taking it off. I'm going to go. I'm going, to go do, I'm going to do this what, the way God's told me to do it. He gets his slingshot. He's a boy. He's got a slingshot. How many boys got slingshot? I guarantee you there may be a boy in here that's got slingshot right now. Like, boys carry slingshots. He had one. There's a reason. We, we as boys carried it for just fun, just to maybe plink. He carried it to kill lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. That's I me. Mean, read the text. That's what he did. He killed. He killed. I mean, you can giggle all you want, but that brother David killed a bear with his own hands. Anybody in the room killed a bear without with their two hands? I'm not talking with a rifle. I know we got some men in here that can kill animals with rifles. Because I mean, Kansas, come on, right? But he kills this bear with his own hands. So he's a, he's a man's man. But he goes out and he finds five smooth stones. Everybody's like, why did he get five? Because Goliath had four brothers. You got to take those guys out too. And he goes out and and he says, "I'll fight him." Stands out there and Goliath comes out and says, "Are you? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Really? I'm gonna I'm gonna crush you." And David says, "No, I don't think so. God's gonna take care of you. God's gonna be the one that's gonna get the glory out of this day, and he'll win the fight." And what happened? God sovereignly takes that stone and that sling and lands it squarely in the forehead, buries it in the forehead of Goliath. Goliath falls to the ground and David picks up the sword, cuts the head off. And people said, what? Glory to God. The Philistines ran in fear and said their God must be great. God got the glory because he used a ruddy-faced little teenage boy to, to accomplish his purposes. Now, what would happen if, if there had been some guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger from the 1970s stepped out there huge and big and bulgy and says, listen, I'll take him. Everybody would have been like, well, shoot. Yeah, he's, he's, of course he beat him. He's strong. God uses what's weak to shame what is strong. God uses what's weak and simple to do things so that there is absolutely no doubt that God is the one who did it and that Jesus Christ deserves every ounce of the glory. God chooses what is weak and simple and the circumstances that are weak and simple in order that no human being could ever, ever contemplate in their mind that it's nobody else other than God that did this. There was no human being able to do this. It was God alone. Same idea in Judges chapter 15, verse 15, when Samson 
He went out, found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he reached out and took that and killed a thousand men with it. One guy kills a thousand men with a jawbone, and nobody, no one's going, well, of course he's so strong and mighty. That's the reason he does it. Everyone's going, how did he do this? How did Samson do this? Like, I'm, I'm confused. How in the world did that take place? Because Samson wasn't a mountain of a man. I know that our, our, the, the movies of today have made him out to be this huge, mountainous, bulging creature. He wasn't. He was a simple dude with long hair. He was a simple guy with a long strands of hair. And it was Christ who gave him the ability to be, have his strength. He made a Nazarite vow. And he said, I can, I'll, I'll do your bidding. I'll glorify you through my life. They couldn't figure it out. It was God who gave him his strength. Through the vow that he gave God, God's strength was what gave him his abilities. And the moment that he stepped outside of that and disobeyed God, and remember, Delilah. I know we got that. That's what we listen to on the radio at night now. But man, she's, she's a shady lady. Don't be dating. This is another. If you're dating somebody that doesn't love Jesus, you're in trouble. You're in the camp of Delilah. You don't want to go there. So Delilah woos him and he steps outside of God's mandates. He lives in sin. He embraces sin. He, he shucks God's vow to the side and he starts playing and playing with sin and doing what God had called him not to do. And it ends up he gets chained up. And both of his eyes gouged out because he's playing with sin. We know the rest of the story. Samson repents of his sin and asks God to forgive him. And God did forgive him and gave him his strength back then. He took vengeance on those that did this and crushed God's enemies. And God got the glory out of a blind guy that it cost Samson his life. Did playing with sin cost Samson his life? Yep. But at the end, he had God's favor and he's in heaven with God. How do we know? Because God's word says that his strength came from the Lord. The Lord gave him that ability to do that. And he, as a result of him repenting of his sins and asking God to forgive him, his strength returns. And he takes out the enemies of God. But the goal of every Christian's life should be to glorify Jesus through their life. Just like you and I, Samson gets Jesus in the end, and Jesus is more than enough. And the point is that God uses the stuff of, that humanity deems as stupid, dumb, lame, silly, uneducated, and just laughable. And God gets the glory out of this stuff. If God chooses to use, and here's the thing. Because sometimes we can get a little arrogant. Well, God chose to use me. <laughs> Don't get arrogant. Because God chooses to typically use weak and silly things. So you may be weak and silly. But guess what? If God sees you through the lenses of his son, that he, see, he perceives that and wants to use you, man, just glorify in God. That means that God loves you and he wants to pursue you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but as, 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Like, I, I love that, that, that Jesus chooses to use weak things and God gets the glory out of it. Man, that's, I, I love that. Like, that is the glorious thing that God chooses to do that through weak vessels like you and me. I love that. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14. But seeing the men who... But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they looked at, they, they saw the man healed, so they're like, listen, we got nothing. We, we got nothing. There's nothing we can do. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they, co they confided with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the notable, it's a notable sign that's been performed. Through them, and it's evidence that all, and it's been evidence to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we, we can't deny it. It was right there in front of our faces. So here's what we'll do. But in order that it may not spread, it would, not, it would spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone about this name. And whose name is that? Jesus. So they all were in this council together and they had a little business meeting and they said okay we're gonna go talk for a minute they said listen we know that we know that this miracle happened so we can't deny it and everybody in jerusalem knows it happened so here's what we're gonna do we're just gonna threaten them and tell them to not do this anymore stop talking about this jesus don't do it keep your mouth shut how many businesses that people work at today you don't talk about religion or politics don't you do it you shut that down don't talk about these things keep your mouth closed don't spread this. Don't say anything further. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And then I love verse uh, 16 or uh, verse 18. So they called him back in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. And I love this. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. You must judge. Listen, whether it's right for us to obey God or you, I mean, you all figure that out on your own, but here's what we're going to do. Verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God. So man, they, the boldness of these men, even in the face of persecution, they said, absolutely not. If Peter and John had stood in the middle of the council and said, listen, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all our power is by me and Pete here. Pete and I got this thing knocked out. Man, it's amazing. It, we did this. We did this. I can tell you right now, nothing would have gone this way. They would have been thrown to the wolves and it would have been over for them. But because they said, the only name that is going to save you is Jesus Christ. And the only reason we're doing any of this is because of Christ and Christ alone. They could not threaten them any further. Christ protected them in this moment. And said, you're not going to do this. And, and honestly, they didn't break any laws. Like the council was going, man, they didn't really didn't break any laws. Like they healed this guy. Like, we can't do anything. They, they, ah. So they, 
They couldn't do anything to these Christians. So they, they were upright men who honored God with their lives. So this is like a mandate to us. That even though we go out and stir up trouble with them for the things of God, man, be upright. Don't be the guy that like goes and burns down a building. Like there's, there's people that like, listen, I know that abortion is a horrible thing, but those people that go and kill abortion doctors man, you, in, in the name of Jesus, man, that is not, that's not upright or good whatsoever. That is wicked and evil and just as bad as the doctor that, that performs the abortion. It's, it's awful. That's, these men were upright disciples of Jesus who were trying to do the right thing and they were just preaching the gospel and it got them in trouble. I can promise you the gospel will get you in trouble on its own. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to be a jerk. Just preach the gospel and let, let the chips fall where they may. They were upright men who honored God with their lives and so the council knew it was risky to punish these men any further because they performed this miracle and attributed it to Jesus. So all they could do was to say, listen, stop teaching in this Jesus' name. Don't use his name to preach. Don't stop telling people we killed the Messiah and, and stop. But of course we know that didn't happen, did, right? Didn't happen. Verse 23. I love this. And when they realized, they went with their friends and reported what, had, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them, who through the mount, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the, and the people plot in vain? He's referencing Psalms chapter 2. Why did the nations rage? Why did the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together and against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to whatever your hand and your plan that you predestined to take place and now the Lord looked upon their threats and granted your servants to continue to speak so listen the government might go against you. Everybody might be against you. But if Romans chapter 8. If God is for you, who could be against you? If God's for you, who could be against you? So, yeah, why do, they, why do they plot in vain? Why do they rage? Why does the nation do this? God's going to win. God, listen. Before the foundation of the world, God knew who you and I were. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the sovereign king who has everything planned out. Why in the world... Do we sit around going, man, I hope this thing works out? It's going to work out. You will be all right if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, you're not going to be all right. But he tells them, he says, verse 30, While you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then, and when they had prayed and the people were gathered together, the place was shaken and filled, and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak in the words of God with all boldness. Man, they were gathered together and they worshiped. So this happens, they get out of jail, 
And they get together and they worship and they say, Praise God, Sovereign Lord, you've done all this. You, pre you predestined and planned this and you had us protected and we're going to speak even bolder now. And so they're gathered together and they worshiped and they prayed and they glorified God together in their gathering. Oh, dearly beloved, oh, that we would be this bold, that we would be with all boldness to share the truth of God's word with those around us and not be afraid. And that with everything that's in our lives that we would say, as Peter and John did in verse 20, we cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. Like, think about if you and I had been there with Jesus for three years and seen everything that Jesus had done in the flesh. Man, there's no way we'd be quiet. Because, man, we, anytime we go somewhere and be a part of something, we're always telling people about it. We'd be, man, remember that time with Jesus? And he was like that guy that was in the rocks. He was cutting himself. You remember when that happened? You remember? You remember when Jesus did this? You remember when Jesus did that? You remember? You remember? Christ did this. Christ did that. He fulfilled the law here. Look at this. Wow. Let me tell the world about this. Think about that. They watched the God of the universe do what he promised he would do in the beginning of the text. And so they're like, listen, I'm not going to stop talking about this. I'm going to go full tilt, full throttle. I'm going to preach the gospel. And, and, and listen, you and I have seen God move in similar ways in our own lives. We've seen God do miracles in our own hearts. The miracle of regeneration, the miracle of forgiveness, the forgiveness of a sinner being reconciled back to God. That's a miracle. The regeneration of the heart when God awakens a boy, man, woman, boy, or girl, by the power of his word being proclaimed, when he awakens that heart, that's a miracle. Why would we not talk about these things? Why would we not stop talking? Why would we, why, we couldn't stop. We've got to be bold, just like Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. When we as believers walk in this boldness, we will have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're going to have everything in common. We're going to, like, the differences that we have will be erased because we have the common denominator of Jesus Christ. There won't be those who are in need because... Man, none of us who are truly saved will realize, man, none of this is about me. It's not about my fame. It's not about my name. It's not about me getting the glory. It's about Christ receiving every ounce of the glory. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, man, that ain't me, brother. I'm not living in any type of boldness. I'm especially not living in that kind of boldness. I'm just sort of kind of slinking through my day trying to just make it. Man, I'm not doing any type of boldness. Well, here's the thing. You can. You've bought into a lie that you can't be bold. You've made an agreement with the enemy that you are just not gifted or that you just can't talk to people about Jesus. You can't, uh, whatever, for whatever reason, you've made your mind up with this lie that you can't. Can I just lovingly tell you, you are wrong. You are wrong on this full tilt. You can. You can live boldly. You can follow Jesus in such a way that the world around you is in awe. That's what happened in chapter 4. They saw this. The people around saw this and they were like, what is happening? How did this happen? What in the world? Like, you can follow Jesus in this way. 
But you've got to get past the lie that you've bought into. Like, listen, I believe that there are men in this room who could preach, but you've, you've bought into the lie. Not me. Nah, I can't do it. I, I believe there are men in this room who could teach Sunday school classes, but they're like, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. Uh, you've bought into a lie. Satan has whispered into your ears. Oh, listen, there's no way that you've got anything that would, people aren't going to listen to you. You've got, there are people in this place. I believe God's got men in this place who can preach and can proclaim the God, God's word. But man, they're so, they've so bought into this lie that man, they've just, they, they've sat back in compliance with this lie and they believed it. I, I believe that there are men in this room, God's working on them into becoming elder leadership, like becoming leaders in this church, elder led government, elder led leadership in this place. But you've believed the lie for so long that you could never do something like that. Man, let me just lovingly tell you, you need to repent of that sin and ask God to forgive you. And then ask God to show you where you need to go. And He, Jesus, will give you the strength to overcome the fear in your life. So many Christians in this world, man, we walk around, we wear the faith over fear t-shirts. But in reality, their fear rules their faith. How do we know? Because when the opportunity comes to share Christ, they refuse because they're afraid. When it comes to praying, they're silent because they're afraid. Those that are afraid to pray in public have bought into a lie that Satan's whispered into your ear and you've believed it and you've become afraid. You wear your faith over fear t-shirt and when it comes to... Um, and here's the deal. That one of the biggest... One of the biggest insults in the world in which we live is to be called a coward. But the Bible says that the, you know what the leading in Revelation, the leading sin that sends people to hell? Not witchcraft. Cowardice. You read in Revelation, it tells, there's a list that says, but the coward will have their part in hell. And then witchcraft and it goes through this list. But you know what the leading is? Being afraid. Being afraid because God's told you not to be afraid. Did you know that the Bible says over 365 times, don't be afraid. That's a verse for every day of the year. I don't think that's by accident. So many Christians in the world wear these shirts, proclaim that they're not afraid. But in reality, fear dictates their faith. When it comes time to help out in the church, they're absent because they're afraid. They, may not be afra they might be afraid they're called upon. And you know what they're honestly afraid of? Not to actually do the work. They're afraid that their time will be compromised. They're afraid their, their own time to be able to do what they want to do will be compromised. And Well, I can't have that. I've got, I've got my time. I've got to do my thing. Don't say you've got faith over fear when you're afraid to show up because you might have to commit. Oh, that we would change our minds. Oh, that we would repent. Oh, that we would live boldly. Oh, that Christians would follow the example of John and Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. It says, man, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. Has Jesus done a, a work in your life? Then why are you being quiet? Why are you being quiet if Christ has done a work in your life? Why are you, why are you muzzled? Why are you muzzled? You say... I can't do those things, Caleb. I just can't. 
Yes, you can. What you've done is you've made an agreement. You've made an agreement with a lie about who you are and what you can do. Christ has told you something. I've heard story after. Let me listen. Romans chapter eight verse thirty-seven says, "Yet in all things, the word all is Greek for everything. All means all." Yet in all things, we, can, we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. Then I, I heard a story one time. I want to end on this story. And I want you, I, I heard this story one time about an elephant and a trainer. And this elephant, the trainer in the beginning put this giant shackle around this elephant's ankle. And, and he drove a metal stake into the ground because he didn't want the elephant to run off. He wanted the elephant to stay where he was. And so he left him in that state for a long time. And then he said, well, the, the shackle's tearing his legs up and, and it, it's just not going to go well. So I'm going to take that big chain off and I'm going to replace it with a little piece of twine and a rope. This twine and rope and I'm going to stick a stick in the ground and just leave it there. And guess what? The elephant did not move because it believed it couldn't. All the elephant had to do was just pull its leg and go and it would have been free. And man, I'm telling you right now, some of you are being held up by a lie that's nothing more than a piece of twine and a stick in the ground. You've believed a lie that you can't do something. And man, I'm lovingly telling you you need to repent. Oh, I'm a fragile man. I, I can't talk about Jesus. I might mess up. You probably will. I'm a pastor and I mess up. I, I can't pray out loud. I just can't do that. Hogwash. You can. You just choose not to. Because you've bought into the lie that you can't. Well, if I pray, I might sound like an idiot. Well, guess what? What do we just read? God uses the idiot. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. God uses the weak to confound the strong. And break loose. Come on, just... Stop believing that you're chained up with this massive chain. If God's forgiven you of your sins, the shackles have been broken, and you still believe in you're shackled up by your past and your pain and your sin, get rid of that stuff. And believe the truth about who God says you are. If you're in Christ, there's now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all things, praying out loud, evangelizing, preaching, teaching, getting together. Man, I believe, listen, I believe that there are ladies in this place who could teach a, a kid's Sunday school class, teach a women's ministry. Let me tell you, the cheapest of people that said, I'll never be able to do that. This woman sitting right here, she said, I'll never be able to pray in public. I'll Am I telling the truth? This woman would have never prayed in public. This woman would have never taught a ladies Bible study. This woman would have never taught a kid's Sunday school class. But then she got saved and was radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And guess what? She's like, I don't care. I'm communing with the God Almighty when I pray. I'm not praying for you to hear. I'm not getting up. When she gets up and prays, she goes, listen, I'm not getting up so that, that Walida can hear me pray. When I get up and pray, I'm praying to the Lord. And I'm asking the sovereign king of the universe to do what he wants. And I'm worshiping him. And I'm praising him. I care less what you think. That's my wife's opinion now. But if you talked to her in 2007, she would have been like, mm, listen, Caleb, if you need me to pray in public, you can stick it where, you know, just, you know. She would have told me, uh-uh. 
But now if I call upon... You know what, you know what I did to her one time? Because she loves being up in front of people all the time. She just loves it. No, she's like, no, I don't. I remember using her as a sermon illustration. I pulled her up in front of a thousand students in Oklahoma City. And used her as a sermon illustration. 2007, Jamie would have said, no! You know what, you know what Jamie today did? Lovingly walked up and said, man, if, I, if, if God can use me as an illustration to help further the gospel, I'm in. I want in. I'm telling you, some of you guys have bought into a lie that you're afraid. Break loose of that chain and believe that you're more than a conqueror through Christ. Because when Christ redeemed you, he redeemed you fully. And if somebody asks you to pray, and man, just come on. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? And if you're not saying so, shame on you. And you need to repent. And guess what? God will forgive you. And then God will give you the strength not to be afraid. But you've got to take that first, first step of faith in repentance and say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been bold. God, I'm sorry that I've not been the man, woman that you need me to be. God, I want to follow you. I want to abandon all of my wants, all of my desires, all of my stuff. And God, I know I've been afraid. I know that I've believed this lie. But God, no more. I believe you're going to be the one that takes care of me. And just step into that. And guess what? God's going to transform your life. I believe that. I believe that today. Let's stand together. Sister Jean, would you dismiss us in prayer? Oh, absolutely. Thank you.